KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I find it at times hard to comprehend that I did what I did, even just making the team. I look at it today and I say to myself, ah, I don't believe I did it today. I say it to my wife. She's laying next to me and I say, you know, I can't believe I played this game. And she looks at me. She goes, and you were pretty good. I said, I guess I was I was good enough to play. And our guest this week is Joe Fields, a former football star at Widener, went on to a great NFL career with the New York Jets. And Joe, thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely, Matt. So what's the last... Uh, what's what what are, what are days like for you these days? I know you're retired. Re- you're retired, retired, not just from football, but retired. So uh, what's life like these days? I never thought I'd enjoy retirement as much as I do. I like planning little things, things that don't take up my whole day. I like my grandkids, playing with my grandkids, just having the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do and not have the worry. So you grew up in South Jersey, correct? Yes, I grew up in Deptford. And then you went to Gloucester Catholic High School. Growing up, was football your main focus, or were you a kid that played whatever was in season? I played whatever was in season. I quickly found out, though, that I wasn't that good in baseball. I was too short and heavy for uh, football. I wasn't fast, so track was out, so football was like the only option. You know, I was the kid who didn't fit anything else. Football was the game. If I was going to play a sport, it had to be football. What are, what's your earliest football memory? Oh, my earliest football memory was uh, actually doing calisthenics in a church parking lot. Because I, I, I started out playing football in the sixth grade, and it was a, a CYO league. So it was all the Catholic schools had this uh, had this league in South Jersey they put together and it was two hand touch okay so what happened was everybody who wasn't couldn't make the weights they all went to the CYO league so i may have been 100 pounds but the guy across from me could have been 200 it was a strange league but it was two hand touch and it it taught me a lot about football trust me when did you did were you did you gravitate to playing the offensive line or was it something where coaches just said, all right, Joe, you go here? It was more or less, okay, Joe, you go here. I uh, I wanted to be a tight end, always wanted to be a tight end. But the one year I was a tight end, I think it was seventh grade, uh, I jumped up to catch a pass and it broke a couple fingers on my hand. So that was it for me as tight end, and I went back to center. And center and guards where I stayed till the end of my career. Did you enjoy it as a youngster? I think – as you get older, you appreciate the importance of the position. But when you're young in that junior high, I mean, you talked about wanting to be a tight end. You know, kids want the ball. They want the, the want the glory. Was it tough to to play middle of the line? No, it's, it's something that after I got comfortable, I, I, I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I, I loved using somebody against themselves. I love learning that. You know, how to control your body and then theirs. I, I just liked everything about the game. I became, even at that early age, I really did become a student of the game. You know, I tried to learn everything there was. Uh, I wanted to know what everybody did, what everybody's responsibility was, whether it was offense or defense. You know, I wanted to know everything that was going on. Except for out there where the wide receivers are, that's a whole different world. I kept myself uh, inside, as they say, you know, the inside group. 
And I, I just loved that whole game. When do you start realizing growing up that you don't just love football, but you're pretty good at it and you might be able to push this a little further than, than most people? Actually, Matt, I never did. I wasn't going to I wasn't going to play football in college. As a matter of fact, I was all enrolled in Rutgers. I was accepted enrolled in Rutgers, and they even called my name out like the first day of classes. Roll call. I didn't decide to go to Widener until like July. It was it was really a strange thing. Yeah, I got a phone call. I was working. My mother got a phone. She took a phone call at the house from Bill Manlock. Bill said they were coming down, getting ready to go to training camp in another month, and he had a, a spot open. He wondered if I was still going to be interested. And my mom said, would he be able to play football? And my mom was a crazy football nut. And Bill said, well, that's why I'm calling. I want him to come play on the team. And she said, oh, my God, yeah, then he's coming. And I got home from work that day. And uh, she said, you're going to Widener. You're not going to Rutgers anymore. You're going to PMC. You're not going to Rutgers anymore. What, 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 you know, I was I was stunned. But then, you know, after she explained it to me, talked to me, and that's where I ended up going. Uh, ended up being the best choice I ever made. Definitely my mom. Did you feel comfortable right away? You know, that's a big jump, just going the transition from high school to college, or did it take some adjusting? It, it took some adjusting. You know, everybody was, was your size or bigger. You know, that was the biggest thing. Uh, that, And you had to learn. I knew that if I was going to stay there, I had to learn, you know, body mechanics. I really knew how to learn how to steer people because you weren't going to muscle people all the time. You weren't going to be able to do that. You needed to use them against themselves, and you needed to learn how to do that. And I think my time at Widener, I spent doing that, learning body mechanics. So were, was it always going to be center was there a possibility moving guard, tackle, or did Coach Manlove bring you in specifically to be his center? He brought me in uh, specifically as a center. That was the first year they allowed freshmen to play on the varsity. And myself and my roommate, Bill Stahl, he was also from Gloucester Catholic, we both got put on the regular traveling roster. So that, that, that was a big highlight. We were one of, like I think, three or four freshmen that were able to travel with the varsity. So that was a nice year. That was that was a good year. And that was, I think, the really beginning of my learning process of how to play football. I, I never really thought I knew how to play football until about my fourth year in the pros. And, and then I myself saying it to myself in my head, I got this now. I, I really know I can do this. I don't know why it took me that much time to realize that I could play. It's just that I just wasn't. I didn't think I could ever play professional football. And then when I first got there, my thoughts were, gosh, why aren't I playing? Why aren't I starting? Why, why, why am I not in a pro bowl? You know, that was my mind thought after I got there. And I, I don't know what happened to me along the way that changed my mind and made me think that I could do what I did. But somewhere along the line, it changed. And it started right there with that phone call to my mom from Bill Manlove. That freshman year at Widener, when you're traveling, are you playing or are you just with the varsity? You're, you're playing. You're on special teams. Okay. Basically. You're running down, covering kickoffs, punts, you know, that kind of thing. What's it like playing for Bill Manlove? I mean, he is a legend. He's a legend I think more people need to know about. But what was it like playing for him? It was totally different than anything I had been used to before. Uh, you know, in high school and, and a little bit in the midgets and stuff, you get that uh, – 
you know, you got to be violent, kill, kill, you know, hit, hit, hit them harder. You know, my first coaches weren't really like that. Okay, you had a coach here or there was a yeller or a screamer. Then you got up to Bill Manlove. Bill Manlove was so simple. It was he didn't curse. He didn't yell. And he asked everybody else to do the same. And he was very simplistic. It was very, we had four plates. That's what we ran, four plates. And uh, it was funny because me and Billy Johnson, and we ever, wherever we get together, we talk about it, about how we went to the pros. And the first day they put in 20 plates. They put in like 20 plays a day, every day. <laughs> With Bill Manlove, we only had four to put in. If you didn't know what you were doing, you had a real problem because you, you only had to think about four plates. And, and Bill was like that, was that way. I can remember one drive, and this sticks in my head all the time because we had one drive, Donnie Watkins, who was from Catholic League in Philly. He was our fullback. Our, our play was called speed right or speed left. We give it to the, to the fullback, and he just run it up the middle. That was the speed play, okay? And we ran one series. We ran 25 straight speeds, 25 of the same exact play, right down the field against Moravian. And we scored a touchdown, and everybody came off the field just, like, shaking their head. Every time it would come into the huddle, we just shook our head. Are you kidding? The same play? And we just – but that was Bill Manlow. He was just simple. Everybody knows what they're going to do. Everybody's going to do it. So why change? You know, and that was a whole, whole different – Bill was different from any coach I ever had. You mentioned I, the four plays. So there's the speed. What, what were the four plays? Okay, it was speed, dream, option, and scissors. Scissors was a counter back the other direction. Option was the regular option play we all know. And dream was a little bit offshoot from the option. Very simple. And then everyone was, if you wanted to pass, it was fake speed, fake dream, (laughs) fake scissors. (laughs) That's what it was. I just, me and Billy, when we get together and talk about it, we do laugh like crazy. <laughs> but I got, to imagine, goes- I got to imagine <laughs> as an offensive lineman, that's that's a dream. No pun intended. Oh but I mean, like, this is, you know exactly what you're going to do. It's repetition over and over where you don't even have to think about anything. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. He didn't want you to do anything. You know, he really didn't. And the defenses back then where usually you had three-man line, you had a four-man line, maybe an over and an under. You maybe had like four or five different defenses. We used to put those in the pros, you'd put the 20 plays in against like 25 defenses. Mm-hmm. It, was, you know, it was so different, so different. That, that was the biggest challenge, let me say, for people, for college guys moving up in, into the pros is the complexity of the game. At the professional level, it it is it is it is complex. You know, there's there's so much to learn. No matter how good you are, unless you're one of those guys who can wiggle when you're supposed to wiggle and waggle when you're supposed to waggle, but that's God-given talent. You know, when you come from a a, a program where you got four plays and you move up into a program where there's hundreds of plays, and then we used to make stuff up in the huddle too. You know, well, that didn't work, so let's change this, do this or do that. It was so different, so different from what I was used to. And maybe that's why I, I thrived in it. Of course, it was different, but it was. It was 
a whole different world. And then going to New York, of course, a whole different world. From an offensive lineman standpoint, when you've got so many play, and you mentioned earlier kind of using a guy against himself, I mean, with that kind of a limited playbook, you had the ability to dominate, and you talk about running the same play against Moravian 25 times. What does that feel like when you know what's coming, the guy across from you knows what's coming, and he can't stop you? He can't win the battle. What does that feel like? Offensive linemen just absolutely, absolutely love that. You live for that. You live to be able to run the ball and just keep running and running and running. It's a, it's one of those things where you, you just say, there's nobody on the field that can beat me today. I know exactly what I'm doing. I, 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 there's no hesitancy. And you get that feeling that there's just nobody that can beat me today. I don't care what they do. Or what they try to do, they just they just can't beat me today, you know. And and then once you get that once you get that momentum, it's really hard for the other team to stop. Even though, you know, they may jump at different defenses or try different things, it just becomes hard for them to stop you. Almost impossible because for some reason, you know, momentum just just came on your side, and there's nothing they can do about it. You mentioned Billy Johnson. I think a lot of people know Billy White Shoes Johnson, uh, you know, in the discussion of greatest return men in NFL history. What was it like playing with him? And was it obvious at that level that this was a guy that was going places? My first game, I was a rookie. Of course, it was Billy's second year. We went down to Houston to play him in the Astrodome preseason. Okay. And Billy guys you know of course the guys asked you you know what's this guy like i just said listen he's fast as hell and don't believe anything he's doing if he looks like he's slowing up he's thinking about going faster trust me i says and if you think you got him you're not even close unless he's on the ground underneath you you don't have him and they're going oh yeah 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 you know but but all these guys from you know like alabama and clemson and all the big school guys you know yeah sure sure you know, wider. What's he run a five flat? You know, all that, all that ball busting goes on. So anyway, we get there, and the first, very first punt, we kick the ball, we punt it, and he fields it. He fields it in the corner on the three yard line, all the way on the sideline. Now we're like all around him. I mean, there's got to be four. I'm the center on the punt team. I'm right there in front of him. He doesn't try to run forward. He runs all the way back into the end zone and makes this huge, like, all the way to the other sideline and starts running up the other sideline. Well, we're diving at him, and guys are missing and missing and missing. He takes it back to, to like, the ten, the other 10-yard line. He runs it back, like, 90 yards. I don't know how he ever got caught, because I was on the ground back, you know, where he first caught the ball. And we come over to the sidelines, and, you know, the coach was a little upset about the punt team, and guy calls the punt team together. How can you let somebody do that? And they all started looking at it. The guys were looking at me going, no, Joe, we didn't believe you. We just didn't believe you. <laughs> and then he actually beat us in Shea Stadium years and years later when he was playing for Atlanta. And we were winning something like 27 to 3. And he comes out, and all of a sudden, he caught like three or four touchdown passes, and, and they beat us like 31-27. It was one of those games where you just – just cover Billy. Just cover. Don't cover anybody else. Just cover Billy. <laughs> and we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Those two games, 
the games I remember the most against Philly. Unbelievable. So you but, had a ton of success. I think you were 24-3 and three as the starting center at Widener, and you've yeah. mentioned a lot of memories. Are there any mm-hmm. games, other games, that really stick out from your time at Widener? All the games against Franklin and Marsh, absolutely awesome games. Very, you know, football games that were really were the mud, the blood, and the beer. And I know during my career they beat us twice and we beat them once. There's a game there. One of the defensive tackles caught in like a scissors between me and the, our offensive tackle, and uh, he snapped his leg like a Joe Theismann down on his uh, on his lower right leg, and he missed the football the rest. He was the captain for Franklin Marshall, and he missed the the rest of the season, and he had to stop playing football. He's really super nice guy, and I end up meeting him like 20 years later. He's the head chef at the Dover Downs Resorts down in Dover. I was there for a banquet or something, and uh, somebody comes out and says, hey, Joe, uh, the chef wants to meet you. I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And he comes walking out, and he's got a little limp. And I don't say nothing. He says, you remember the Franklin and Marshall game? I went, oh, my God, yeah. And he says, well, that was me. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding? <laughs> of course, I checked my meal right away. I said, you didn't put nothing in my meal, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He said, I just wanted to come out and, and meet you. And he said, I know we talked after that. He said, but I just wanted to tell you, you know, never any hard feelings or nothing. He said, uh, it's just one of the things that happens. He says, and I'm doing really good. So don't think about it. And that game and that guy every now and then just runs through my mind. I guess I've been for- unfortunate enough that I've been on the field with three of those type of injuries. Mm-hmm. And they're really just brutal injuries. Just brutal. To meet somebody, you know, Clark Gaines, one of my teammates, he went through it. It took him two years, and he never really played again. I think he played one more season after that. And this, you know, I looked at Alex Smith, who had almost the same thing. And, you know, that's a tough injury. And, yeah. and when I met him at Dover Downs, it really made me feel good. It really made me feel happy. Did I read that you played – I don't know if it's half a season, but a handful of games with a broken toe on the offensive line, like your sophomore year? Yeah. Yeah, my toes and my feet have given me some problems. <laughs> but, you know, back then things were a lot different. You 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 played. You just you just played. You didn't think about it. You know. We broke a finger or did something like that. You had an extra piece of tape on your wrist and you just had the guy next to you tape. If you, you know, dislocation, stuff like you didn't worry about. Back then, they were trying guys out every, every day. You'd come into, you'd come into camp or you, after camp, you'd come into regular season. It'd be a Tuesday or a Wednesday. They'd be trying somebody out for some position. You were only as good, really, as your last game. And they really making changes. They made changes. I don't understand today the mentality that, oh, it's your job. So even if you play bad, it's still your job. Mm-hmm. Oh, back when I played, they give you a couple of weeks. You didn't get straightened down in a couple of weeks. You, you were changed. So am I correct? You never anticipated getting drafted, right? Never. Never in a million years. But you Couldn't did. Couldn't even comprehend it. You did get drafted. The Jets in 75 drafted in the 14th round. And obviously folks know now the draft's only seven rounds there. 
So how do you find out the Jets picked you, and what's your reaction? <laughs> well, of course, it's the second day of the draft, and we're in my college room, and we're playing darts. So we're standing around playing darts. It's like 7 o'clock at night. And I had gotten a couple letters, Dallas, the Giants, a couple other teams, the Raiders, a few other teams, that they would like to sign me as a free agent if I didn't get drafted. That's how they worded the letter. So I figured I'd be trying out somewhere, I was thinking. So all of a sudden, the phone, we had the pay phones in the dorms. So the pay phone rang, and somebody answered. They said, Joe, it's for you. I said, well, can you ask who it is? So they asked who it is, and they said, it was the secretary for the New York Jets. I went out, and I said, hello. And she goes, this is such and such. I'm secretary for New York Jets. Could you please hold for Charlie Winter? He was the head coach at the time. And Charlie Winter gets on the phone and says, Welcome to New York Jets. We just drafted you in the 14th round. Please hold for the secretary. She's going to give you information. We're going to fly you up here for a physical next week. I went, wow. Okay. So, of course, you know, I got the information. I'd never even been to the airport. You know, I'd never flown. I'd never been nothing. They said, well, don't worry about it, she said, because you're going to fly with another guy, Joe Wysock, from the University of Miami. He lives in the Philly area. I said, okay, how do I recognize him? Because I, you guys, you guys will work it out. So it's funny because I end up getting a ride to the Kenny O'Brien, our, our quarterback for Widener, gives me a ride to the airport and sits in the airport with me. Because you could do that back then. Mm -hmm. Sits in the airport with me and he said, uh, "I'll wait until your plane comes." He said, "You know, I'll see what this guy Joe Wysock's like." And I'm sitting there and we're facing different directions. So Kenny goes, "Here he comes." And I said, "How do you know that?" He said, turn around and look. And I looked. And there was this massive man, just massive, walking down through the airport. Worse than being huge. Okay, he had like a bearskin coat on, which made him look twice as big. I said, I don't think the plane can carry him. I said to Kenny. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God, he's a guard. I says, I'm a center. I said, how am I? I'm not even close to anything like this guy. I said, how am I going to play if this is what they're all like? You know? And I flew on a plane, really nice guy. Second round draft pick, University of Miami. No, you know, really nice guy, but he, he had a knee problem. And never really played. Never really played. You know, didn't, didn't step foot on the field. It's a shame. Really nice guy. But uh, that was, uh, and then when I, you know, you, you see that. And it starts to put a little, let a little air out of your bubble. Then you get into the locker room, coming from Widener, where you're the biggest guy. <laughs> to get an approach, all of a sudden you're the, you're the smallest guy. It's like, wow, what a difference. And then you're thinking that these bigger guys, they got to be slow. But guess what? They're not. So it, it becomes a, a little bit of an adjustment. But that was, that's a fond memory right there. Fond memory, that first day. <laughs> What's that training camp like? You talk about all that. You're a 14th round pick. I would imagine you come into camp low, if not on the bottom of the depth chart. So what's that camp like? Matt, camp, first of all, back then it was like, it was Vince Lombardi camps. We'd run two sessions a day. Offensive line, defensive line are always live. Always live, every day. Every practice. Whether you got even... When you just have sweatpants on, it's still live. You're doing 
two practices a day. Sometimes you do three. If you lose a preseason game, you do three practices. It was out on Long Island, extremely hot, very tough, uh, and it was long. You know, we had six preseason games, but that year we played in the Hall of Fame game. So we actually, our first game was like August 3rd or 4th. And training camp was horrendous. Four weeks of training. We came in right after the 4th of July and it was, it was brutal. It was positively brutal. Training camp is, was no fun back then. No fun. And everybody's fighting for position. There's 120 guys. They cut 20 every day. They bring 20 in. And I, I, I'll never forget the guy I hung around with a lot was a tight end from Ohio State, Mike Bartosik. And I can remember walking in one day after a preseason game and walking in for breakfast. We saw Mike Hollaback, and he was the Turk. He was the guy who did the cutting, and he came walking towards me and Mike as we were walking in. And all the air, I mean, all the air left me and Mike, and we just stood there, and he came walking up to us, and he said, Joe, you played good last night. And I looked at him, and I went, wow. <laughs> and then he said to Mike, Mike, coach needs to see you. Bring your playbook. And it was like just a, he went from elation to sadness because here was your buddy. Right. And you knew, you know, he was going. It was kind of like he was the guy you leaned on. You know, he was really, you know, your roommate back then was your only safe haven. <laughs> Everybody else was out to get you. That was that was interesting times. And then I ended up hooking up with another guy, Daryl Austin. We ended up fighting for positions for the next three years. And uh, he was a, he was a good player. He ended up getting traded to Tampa. But training camps were not like they are today. Nothing like it. Yeah, you you mentioned walk in and you see the guy that you know, cuts coming towards you. <laughs> is that something you're that first training camp you're waiting every day? Are you, you know, thinking, well, this could be it, this could be it? Or is it such a, are the practices such a bear? You're just trying to get through the day and get to bed. You, in a lot of ways, you're just trying to get it over with. But then you still have to, have to learn. You know, in the beginning, Matt, when you first go to training camp, your head's not used to being in a helmet especially when it's 100 degrees. I can remember my first one-on-one was with a guy by the name of Jim Bailey who played for Baltimore. He was like a seven-year vet. And my first one-on-one pass blocking, and and he literally knocked me out. You get up from that, and you start thinking, okay, I got to do something different. (laughs) Whatever I'm doing is not working. And then you, you start watching, start listening, and you're trying to get through it, but you're trying to learn, too. Because if you don't learn, you're going to get the living crap kicked out of you. You know, you got to, it's like, if you don't do it, you're going to die. You know, you're going to die a little bit if you do it, but you just got to keep going. You keep your head down, you keep pushing, and you try to keep learning. And then, you know, you got meetings in the morning, meetings in the afternoon, meetings at night. It's not a whole lot of time back then. You know, the, the mental aspect, I think, hurts. A lot of guys, because they're unsure. When they get on the field, they're unsure. I was always sure when I went on the field. I may get beat, and something may happen, but I was always sure of what I was going to do. And I, I think that's – I stayed around long enough to be able to learn because I was sure. It was mostly a mental game for me. Incredible 
as small as I am, it was mostly a mental game. But you know what's funny about that, Matt? I say I was small. I got pictures from the Pro Bowls with John Hanna and Mike Webster, three mm -hmm. of us. Me and Mike are like the same size. I'm actually an inch taller than him. And me and Hannah, Hannah doesn't look at He's 290. I'm 245, and we look like the same. Right. <laughs> I don't know how I, ever got, how I ever got to where I was. Do you remember when you, you know, you're an underdog, I think, and I think anyone drafted as low, you know, is, is an underdog. Do you remember when you realized you made the team? Was there a conversation, or was it, you know, they made the cuts, and the next thing you know, you get a list of the itinerary for the, you know, for the first trip or whatever. You know, that's basically how it is. I was I was rooming with my roommate, Daryl Austin. It was the day of the last cut. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. We came driving in. You know, we were supposed to be there at 9 o'clock. We come driving in at like 30 seconds to 9 o'clock. <laughs> we check in, and we see last year's center – backup center and last year's backup guard talking to each other on the corner of the building. We come walking by and the one guy, Warren Kogel was the center. He reaches out and he shakes my hand. He says, uh, Joe, congratulations. I wish you luck. And I went, why? What's going on? He said, well, they just released me and you're the only other center. And then the other guy said to Daryl the same thing. He said, listen, he says, they just released me, and you're the only backup guard. He said, so you guys must have made the team. And, of course, we were all like, oh, we're really sorry to hear that. You know, it's a shame. You got to go, blah, blah, blah. We walked around the corner. Me and him were jumping up and high-fiving and <laughs> rolling around on the ground. And we were so excited that we had made the team. But then again, it started just that week. They started guys coming and trying out. Right. You know, every week, guys trying out. It was crazy crazy what's your what's your first nfl game who do you play what do you remember well that's something i'll never forget it's august 4th 1975 we're playing the minnesota vikings in sun devil stadium arizona nine o'clock at night it's 104 degrees the locker room is 90 degrees and it feels like you're diving in the ocean it's so cold we go out and you are just you're drenched in sweat we're playing the minnesota vikings by god Okay, we get out there, and of course, I'm on the special teams because I'm snapping punts, place kicks, and kickoffs, and all that. So we go out there for the very first time. I step foot on the field. You know, there's like seventy-five thousand people screaming, going crazy, and I go out there to snap my very first punt, and I snap it right over the punter's head. I went, oh, punter runs around, picks it up, kicks it, gets killed, bounces around down near the five-yard line. Their stupid return man picks it up. Louis Picone from Vineland hits him. Ball bounces out, and I jump on it at the five-yard line. <laughs> Just like you drew it up. <laughs> That's what the coach said. <laughs> so they don't cut me. They don't cut me, thank God. They keep me that preseason game. Next week, we go to St. Louis, and everything's fine. And the third week, we go to the Giants and play the Giants preseason. Giants-Jets were still a huge rivalry because the year before, they still played them regular season. Mm-hmm. And the Jets beat them. So the Giants are kind of out for blood. But anyway, back and forth, back and forth. It's 21 to 20. And with a minute and 50 seconds to go, and name it, does a perfect two-minute drill. Boom, 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 right down the field. Gets to about the 10-yard line with three seconds to go. 
course, myself and the field goal team, we go running in, kick the field goal. And I go in there, and it's raining. So, you know, I'm one of these guys. You know, I ask for a new ball because I've seen guys do that on TV. You know, they ask for a new ball, and they can get one. So I asked for a new ball. The Giants called timeout. Go up over the ball. Now, Pat Leahy's a great kicker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an extra point we're kicking, basically. And I snapped that ball over the holder's head. I crawled in a hole, a divot that the grass came out of on that field. So I remember John Mendenhall, who was the nose guard for the Giants, who's gone now, God bless him. He came up and he grabbed me by the back of his jersey and picked me up. He said, kid, you got to go face the music. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Kid, you got to go face the music. And that's what I did. Oh, I thought they were going to kill. Nobody talked to me. Nobody. Uh, it was horrible. It was horrible for two weeks. It was absolutely horrible. But the coach said he's not going to cut me. You know, I'd never played in front of more than like uh, 3,000 people, he said. So it must have been a lot unnerving for the kids. So he kept me. And then he, he kept me all year. Do you find it's, that amazing? Because I think a lot of players with your where you were drafted and the, the, the small school you came from, a mistake like that might be it. Oh, absolutely. I had, you know, the guys wouldn't even talk. Namath talked to me in the locker room. He was, he was hilarious. He said, hey, Joe, you want to get your name in the paper again? <laughs> I said, no, no, no. The other vets wouldn't talk to me. No, that was the Giants, you know. They wouldn't talk to me, you know, and it went on. It went on like that for a while until a lot of them realized that I could really play. Our, our first string center then was a guy by the name of Wade Mulligan. He had a lot of injury issues. So I ended up playing a lot as a rookie. My, uh, my offensive line coach, God bless him, Bob Fry, really believed him. And Bob would put me in. You know, we didn't have that great a year. Bob would put me in and, my weight, I was supposed to hold my weight at 235 back then. And I would go in the 220s. Mm-hmm. And he would come in when we were, we, we, we weighed in every Thursday morning. And we would come in and he'd say, Hey, Joe, he says, uh, go get yourself a five pound plate, will you? And I would go in and I'd get a, I'd put a five pound plate in my jock strap to, to weigh more. He said, Because they're not going to like it when they see these these weights you know they're not just looking for heavy guys they're looking for the guys who are underweight too mm-hmm. and he did that for me my whole first year and then my second year I ended up starting so I don't know what he saw in me I really don't I, I have no idea but uh, he saw something until you start to believe in yourself you know I didn't my first year I didn't believe entirely in myself but then soon I came feeling that you know I belonged where I was and then I thought I belonged more. <laughs> Don't know how. Just happens. Evolution of some sort. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with former Widener football star Joe Fields right after this. Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and change makers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. 
And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, former Widener and New York Jet offensive lineman Joe Fields. What was the toughest part of of playing center in the NFL? I should say, you watch games today and the center has a lot of play-calling responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. shifting the line, stuff like that. Did, was that on your plate then? And what was tougher, the physical or the mental? In the very beginning, it's the mental, okay? The mental hurts a lot of people coming out of college. I got to say that. I've seen a lot of guys who had the talent, but they didn't have the mental ability to absorb so much and then spit it out on Sunday. In the beginning, the mental's toughest. And then after you get that mental down and you're feeling confident that way, then the physical part becomes difficult. You know, you know what you're supposed to do, how you're going to do it. You start to take on a responsibility when you're playing calls that you always give yourself the toughest block because you don't want to say that you couldn't quite do it, so you gave that block to somebody else. So you make calls designed that you take the toughest, either the toughest person or the toughest angle is how you do it. You either get good or you're not going to have a job anymore. It's kind of like that simple. Mm-hmm. So whether it means staying out at practice afterwards getting somebody to practice with you, you know, to do certain things, learn certain things. I, I, I was lucky. Bob Fry was a uh, – he was an offensive lineman. But then I also had Jim Ringo, who was a center. And they both taught me some things that I never would have thought of, mm-hmm. never would have thought of, that I actually learned differently, you know, back in college and in high school and stuff. Little things like don't pick your foot up or to heal it. You know, things, just little things, hands placements. Loringo would teach me little things with my head. Do this little thing here. Do this little thing here. And he'll think you're going that way. And he'll start, he'll just make a mental note. Watch what that guy's doing out there at the defensive end, because then you'll know when he's slanting. Watch the linebacker, where he's at. You know, watch the cornerback. If that corner's up on the ground, watch your ass. All these little things they would teach you. And when you get in the game, and you start to see these little things. You go, oh, that's what he's talking about. Oh, that's what he's going to do. And then when things start working, you really get into it. Then you start to get that confidence like, you know, nobody can beat me out here today. I come through the tunnel. I got a couple of pictures of me coming out of a tunnel. I look on my face and I say, you smug SOB. How can you look this way? You know, how can you look this way? You know, but that, that's... You get that attitude that nobody's going to beat me today. Nobody is, no matter what. It's a long time to get there, but once you get there, it's really a great feeling. It really is. It's just total confidence in everybody around you and every, every, everything that you can do. You make the Pro Bowl twice. You were all pro, I think, three times. You're a kid from Gloucester Catholic who went to, <laughs> to, to Widener. And, and here you are. You're excelling. Not just in professional football, but in New York City, like with with the Jets. <laughs> would you have moments where you would step back and go, how'd this happen? What am I doing here? Or are you with that confidence, like just soaking it all up? I got to tell you, Matt, like I said earlier, I don't know when it happened to me. I, I don't know. And I don't know why I started saying to myself, I should be starting. Why, why, why aren't I starting? And then I should be in the Pro Bowl. Why aren't I in the Pro Bowl? I started thinking that way. Why aren't I? 
not that I should be like, why aren't I? How come? You know, you, maybe you just got to play better. Maybe you just got to do better. And that just kept me going and going and going. Why not? Why shouldn't I be that? You know, why should that guy be there and not me? Those things were coming up into my head and I'm going, why not? And then I would do it. I remember Paul Anderson who wrote for Sports Illustrated and he was, he worked for the Post in the beginning. Then he went to Sports Illustrated. He kept saying to me, he'd come in, he'd sit next to me on the stool. He says, not this year, Joe. You didn't get it because everybody wanted to make Sports Illustrated all pro. It's only 11 guys on offense. Uh-huh. 11 guys, 11 guys, and that's it. And he said, no. He said, no. He says, not this year. Anyway, he went, he'd go along this year. And then he'd sit down and say the same thing to me, you know. And I'd be UPI and AP and everything else. No, not this year. And then finally, I'll never forget the one day he sat on the stool and he said, well, he said, I got to give it to you. I watched you and the other two guys. He says, and I'm giving it to you this year. He said, you did it. And I was like, whoa, okay. I finally made Paul's team. You know, and making that team was was important to me. It really was. Because it was kind of like a culmination of all the no's. All the no's. But that first guy who saw me from the Jets, he thought I could play from day one. Uh-huh. Carol Hunter's from Kentucky. He was a scout. And he thought I could play from day one. He said I just needed more weight. If I didn't get, if I didn't lose my quickness, if I had more weight, that I could play. And he I was started. right. <laughs> and I we, we used to talk about it my, my second year because he was still there scout. We talk about it. He says, How do you feel? I said, I feel like I'm getting better. He says, You are. You are, you're getting better. He said, I knew you could play. And I said, How'd you know? And he just said say big old, you know, long southern Kentucky draw, you know, going, Well, I'll spit at you with tobacco out. He said, I, I just seen something in you. I just seen you. And I seen you could make that cutoff. And that cutoff's really hard. You could make that cutoff. And he says, I thought you could play. And you could long snap. He said, I thought you could play. Some people just have an ability to play. And I guess I was a big feather in his hat. Mm-hmm. You know. Because there was there was a lot of guys that weren't planning out panning out for the Jets draft picks in that year and the years to come. Some tough draft years. Right. You know, we just didn't, we got guys, but, you know, they didn't pan out. We had our own quarterback controversies. We had Todd Namath. Then we had Todd and Robinson. Then we had Todd and Ken O'Brien. We had more quarterback controversy you could shake a stick at. And it Mm. didn't help it being New York, too. Oh. Where everything is, where it's a controversy on steroids. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, you know what's funny, Matt, is my the trainer, Pepper Burris, who went on to be the trainer at uh, Green Bay Packers for a lot of 20 years, he used to say to me all the time, he said, he'd call me from Green Bay. He said, well, t- today's press day, Joe. How many people you know we got? We got six people in here today. Hey, up in New York, we'd have 30, 35 people on press day. Mm-hmm. You know, we have more press than we had flyers. Right. And it's not like that everywhere. I like that New York. New York's a tough place to play. It is. They uh, they call it as they say it. They don't care who you are. Right. They don't. And you get on somebody's bad side up there, and he keeps you on the bad side forever and ever. You mm-hmm. never get off. Yeah, New York's tough. It's not fun. But the fans, I got to say, we, we, we had some very loyal fans. You know, my first three years, we were 3-11. and 11. Not very good. 
not very good. And we didn't, we didn't show signs of being, it was, we had Lou Holtz, my second year as head coach and the roster was, I think it was 43 then, mm-hmm. or it might've been 40 with seven taxes, one or the other, but he literally cut down to like 33 players after the last cut. He so it was 40. He cut down to 33 players and he picked up seven guys on waivers. You know, that's how, that's how the Turk worked back then. Right. You know, it was, you're gone. Don't care who you are. You're gone. You're not, you know, you're not playing. You're out of here. It was, it was difficult times. Difficult. Not until we got Walt Michaels as a head coach did we turn things around. Ex-player, hard, hard man. Mm-hmm. But, you know, good. That's what we needed. So you ended up playing, I think it's 186 regular season games, seven playoff games in your NFL career. If I ask you what game, when you think about your NFL career, is at the top of the list when it comes to memories, is there one that jumps out? Yes. Well, yes. It's the uh, it's one of the playoff games in 1982 against the Oakland Raiders. We won 17-14. It's the game where Lyle Zeldo threw the helmet. Mm-hmm. that you see all the time, that game. That game, you want to talk mud and the blood and the beer, that was the game. That was football. A fight after every play, pushing, shoving, hitting before the whistle, hitting after the whistle. It was bench clearing brawl at the end of the game. Nobody ever even saw it. It was brutal. You earned every inch you got that day. You earned it. Nobody gave anybody anything. It's went. My favorite game of all time. My other one would have been the game that we uh, lost, the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland playoff game, where we lost in double overtime. Mm-hmm. Longest game, longest playoff game ever played, I think, or something like that. It might have been first or second. But that game, you know, we end up losing. We're, we're ahead with three minutes to go. We're ahead 20 to 10. And we lose the game in double overtime. And that was that was a horrible game. But we were, we were a broken team at the time. We had... We couldn't even field five healthy offensive linemen. We had one guy go in and just stand there so we could field offensive line. Wow. And we had a tight end play tackle. It was we were down to nothing. But we were ahead twenty to ten mm-hmm. <laughs> and we still lost. Those two games in my entire career really stick out. So you play with the Jets until eighty seven. You play your final year with the Giants in eighty eight. Talk about you had so much success. You play for so long. Do you know when it's over? Or are you still looking to play, but the phone's not ringing? You know, how do you close close the book at your end of your career? Well, I, I got to tell you, I was working in Buffalo, doing a gig up in Buffalo. And my wife called me and said, Joe, Joe Walton wants to see you on Monday in Hempstead. And I said, okay, well, I'm flying back on Sunday, so... Okay, and I knew what it was. He was he was ready to change everything. So I knew I was getting released. I put a nice blue suit on, went up, and I felt for somebody that had given thirteen years to the Jets and been captain and done a lot of things in New York for New York. I thought there'd been a little bit more. And he simply said, "Joe, we're going heading in a different direction, and I'm releasing you." He says, "I think you should retire." And I looked at him and I I just said, "Well, I'm not retiring." And he said, "Well, good luck to you." And I hadn't even sat down yet. This was on my way from the office door to the seat at his desk. And I just looked at him. And he looked back at me. And he stood up and he put out his hand. And I wouldn't shake. He put out his hand. He said, well, he said, I wish you luck. And I said, Joe, I'll tell you the truth. I don't wish you any. Turned around and left. And that was my last day I spent in New York Tech Complex. 
walked out, got my car and drove back. I kept getting in shape. I kept staying in shape. You know, this was like, it was when all the reporters were down at the combine. Uh, he did it then, so there wasn't a big reporter thing. But I had a lot of the guys, a lot of the, a lot of the reporters started calling me up, asking me. It's like the next week when they got back in town, they were, you know, calling up, and I was talking to a lot of them. I just started thinking, okay, well, you know, I guess they'll just put me on waivers, and then somebody will pick me up or call me. And after the combine, I got no calls. So I was, you know, thinking, okay. Well, maybe it'll happen. I don't know how these things happen. Yakety yak. So then there was the draft. The teams did the draft. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm still sitting at home. You know, nobody's called. And then mini camps opened. And then right after mini mini camp, I started getting some phone calls. But the weird thing was, Matt, my first phone call was from Sam Weiss at Cincinnati. And he says, Joe, he says, I'm hoping I'm not disturbing your retirement. And I said, what do you mean retirement? Oh, he said, well, we were told you were retired. I said, no, I'm, I'm not talking about being retired. He said, I'm looking to play another year or two. And he says, oh, he says, good then. He says, listen, he says, would you mind playing in Cincinnati? And I said, no, not at all. He says, well, our guy is getting an operation. And we don't know how he's going to come back. Yak, yak, yak. So I said, okay. He says, Dear, you know, stay in shape. Boom, boom, boom. You're going to be getting some calls. So I got calls from the Raiders. I got calls from uh, him. I got the call. Two or three other teams, about five teams called me, all with basically the same story. If our backup doesn't show, we went up a boom. Sam was the only one who called me back. He called me back in August. And he said, Joe, he said, our guys come back really good. We're really happy with what we got. He said, so we're not going to ask you to come out. He said, but do yourself a favor. Stay in shape. Somebody's going to call you. And I said, nah, that's it. I'm not staying in shape no more. It's, it's too difficult to keep it up. And then what happened? I guess it was about three weeks later, I felt really good and out of shape. I was in the shower one morning. I was going to New York for something. I was in the shower. My, my wife goes to me, Joe, it's Bill Parcells on the phone. I says, yeah, it's Bill. Because my friends, my buddies were calling me up, you know, digging me. They say, oh, this is Tom Landry. Oh, this is uh, Flores. This is this guy. You know, they were breaking my stones all the time. And I said, okay, yeah, tell them I'll be right there. So I finished my shower. I went to the sink. I started shaving. And my wife comes in and says, Joe, Bill's on phone. I say, well, uh, well, tell him I'm just getting out of the shower. You know, I shave. I clean up. I come walk out in the bedroom. She goes, Joe, he's on the phone. So I pick it up. I said, yeah, Bill Parcells. What's up? And he started talking to me. And I said, oh, it's Bill Parcells. <laughs> so we always had a good laugh about that. He asked me to come up for lunch. So I said, I'll come up for lunch. Come up, we sat down, we walked around. And, uh, he said, listen, what do you think you can do for me? I said, well, he says, I got it. First of all, he said, you got to go through a physical because you have your elbow operated. I said, yeah, he said, I, I can pass a physical. He said, okay, well, what can you do for me? I said, well, I can play center. I can back up guard. He said, I'll do some long snapping. I said, but what do you want me to do? He said, I'd like you to you know, do exactly what you said. If you can do that for us, I think it's good. I'm not, I, I don't trust my guys, the guys I have. So I said, well, Bill, I'm really out of shape. I said, I mean, I'm really out of shape. He said, hey, well, don't worry about it. You come up, and if you don't feel right one day, so he looked at me, and he said, I'll get you out of there. I said, all right. So I signed with the Giants. I passed my physical. I signed with the Giants. I went to Giant training camp, out, totally out of shape. Okay, And Bill ran a tough training camp. And like the second day, I was, I was, probably, I was probably ready to die. And I looked over at him. 
and gave him the nod, like, you know, get me the hell out of here. And Matt, he turns his back on me <laughs> and keeps me in there. <laughs> oh, that was the worst training camp I ever had, even worse than my rookie year. And it was only two weeks of it. Brutal. But, you know, that's how it was. And after my 14th, I would have played another year with Bill. Mm-hmm. But uh, he said to me at the end of the year, Bill was very up, very upfront, very easy guy to play for. Right. You know, do this, you do that. The end. Okay. If not, then you're out of here. That's all. And he said to me, uh, all right, Joe, you, you know, pass your physical at the end. He says, Joe, he said, here's the deal. You watch the draft. If I pick this kid in the first round, I don't need you back. If I don't pick him in the first round, I want you back. So, you know, draft came, picked the kid in the first round. I said, you know what? I said, now I'm going to retire. I got 14 years. 14 is kind of my lucky number. I'm going to retire. Month goes by. He calls me back. He calls me up. He said, come on up and have lunch. I go up and have lunch. And he wants to hire me to, to help coach the offensive line. I thought about it. I thought about it. And I thought about it, Matt. You know, and that year they win the Super Bowl, right? Right. And I just say, no, you know what? I'm done, Bill. I'm done. Because he did say something to me that really stuck with me. He said, don't take this coaching job because you want to coach for Bill Parcells. Take it that you want to be a coach in the NFL. Because if I get fired tomorrow, you may have to go to, to Green Bay or Buffalo right. to get another job. He said, you don't know where you'll end up. So take it like you're going to make it the rest of your life and not like it's just going to be a one-time thing. And I thought about that, and I thought about it a lot. And he says, you know, I give you – I give you June, the month of June off. Every other day you work. I went, whoo, okay. This is not that easy to be a coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really full, full, full time. So I uh, I said no. And then they win the Super Bowl and I could have had my ring. <laughs> that hurt, but I was happy with my – was, it was time to go. It was time to go. really was. So with it all in the rearview mirror, I mean, could you have imagined – when you started playing football, getting as much as you did out of the game, I mean, it's really an amazing story you put together. Matt, I find it at times hard to comprehend that I did what I did, even just making the team. I look at it today and I say to myself, you know, how? I don't believe I did it today. I say it to my wife. She's laying next to me and I say, you know, I can't believe I played this game. And she looks at me, she goes, and you were pretty good. I said, I guess I was, I was good enough to play. And I, I just, I don't quite understand, but I did it. But I did it. Joe Fields, thanks so much for taking the time. This was great. Matt, thank you. I, I appreciate being remembered. It's nice. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Joe Fields for being our guest this week, the former Widener and New York Jet football star. If you like this show and want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at one-on-one-pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.